I'm Alex Mellaris. And I'm Taisei Fu. Oh, you're kind of loud, oh. uh, but it's okay. I'll right. readjust. And we were actually, I just realized in the last five seconds, we were going to start with talking about the Joel Edmonton contract, but maybe it would make a little more sense to open up with the playoffs considering game one of the Stanley Cup Finals, 4-1 Dallas Stars win was just last night. And we, we haven't had a show since the conference finals ended. Dallas beat Vegas in five games at, with a... That game five comeback and overtime win called by Denis Gurianov. Tampa Bay took six games to beat the Islanders. And so we have a Stanley Cup final in which the trophy will be rewarded in Canada and immediately go as far away from Canada as it possibly can. Yeah. So shall we start with, I guess we'll start with the series that's already started, right? And then we'll move sure. to the past. Okay. So yeah, Tampa Dallas game one last night and it was 4-1 and, and Dallas took it. And I mean, frankly, the story was like Dallas looked like the better team out there uh, for the first two periods, at least the third period. Tampa seemed to really turn it on and they were the better team basically throughout. But frankly, it really felt like, you know, a bit too, a bit too little, a bit too late. Uh, and Hudobin was fantastic, as he has been always uh, at this point. If the Stars do manage to, you know, win three more games, he's probably the front runner. For Conn Smythe, given his performance, you look at his performance versus Vegas, and if he can keep it up against Tampa like this, uh, I know Heiskanen's a name that a lot of people like, but right now at this point, I think you got to say that Hudobin's, uh, Hudobin's the front runner. and when it came to Tampa, like, yeah, they, they turned it on the first two, uh, in the last period, but the first two periods, I mean, they kind of looked tired. They didn't look like they were on top of the game. They let Dallas dictate everything, which is something we really haven't seen from Tampa throughout the playoffs. But uh, I don't know. Is this this might be you know fatigue coming off a series uh, against the Islanders that was you know long and it, it like even just watching it it was exhausting to watch. So you know some question marks coming out of Tampa in terms of you know uh, are, is the fatigue really starting to pile up there? Yeah, well, fatigue does always play a factor, and like uh, Dallas did have three extra days of rest than Tampa going into this series. But I look back on the entire playoffs, Tampa Bay. Uh, has played a total of 16 well if you include the um the play in round night or the round robin for them 19 games because they won in five games five games and six games which is pretty efficient compared to Dallas's six games seven games five games i suppose so i guess both of these teams have been rested pretty well overall heading into the game last night i was thinking about uh who i'd be rooting for Last year, it wasn't much of a challenge. I was rooting for the Blues because, I mean, they were playing the Bruins. Not such a hard choice. And it was kind of fun to have a Stanley Cup final in which there was a clear favorite and clear underdog, which doesn't happen that much. It happened last year, and it's happened again this year. But I don't think the same thing applies because I was I was thinking, hmm, Dallas, well, they have Pavelski, they have Cogliano, like I mentioned last week. Totally forgot to mention they also have Alexander Radulov, who was tons of fun to watch in the Canadians and one of my favorite players that year. And not to mention former Hab goal scorer, not goal scorer for the Habs, but Joel Hanley, uh, who I, I was going to shout out. Uh, so I was thinking, hmm, maybe I will be rooting for Dallas. But you know what? It would be so nice in such a random sport like hockey, where everyone's complaining that, you know, it's basically a bunch of coin flips once you get to playoff time. It would be great to finally have 
the best team actually win. And I think most people agree that the best team in the NHL is the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I'm rooting for them. If the best team wins one year, then maybe, I don't know, I, I give them a couple more years pass if, you know, some random shit happens. And I don't know, the Buffalo Sabres make it to the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, you said it. We like uh, it's just so random the sport. Uh, you see upsets all the time, and that's just a function of how you know the game is played. You get a bunch of puck luck, and all of a sudden, yeah, you're two rounds deep. And with Tampa, I mean, this isn't just the team that's been what the best team or one of the better teams just for the last couple of years or just this year. I mean, this is a long while now where what they made the they made the conference final a couple of years ago or the cup final a couple of years ago, I think. Uh, anyways, and they just uh, it just seems like this core has been frustrated every turn. And, yeah, they deserve a cup. And in terms of rooting interest for me, I mean, I just think that Tampa's more likable. Uh, just to watch watch them play. Uh, just the, the talent that's there. It's just exciting to watch. Meanwhile, Dallas, I mean, they are very adaptable. Uh, and they can score goals, you know, if they want to. If they're playing a third-string goalie like Michael Hutchison. But other than that, I mean, they play that defensive style of hockey. And I'm not going to knock them for it. But frankly, just to watch it. Is kind of boring. I mean, I if I talk about the Eastern Conference series for just like a half a second, I mean that that series was really boring, and mostly because the Islanders just stuck to their play style, and it was just low event hockey. That's what they wanted to do, and that's what happened for six games. And frankly, it wasn't very entertaining. And yeah, and if Dallas brings that kind of style to the game, and I think they will, you know, they want to slow it down. They don't want to. They don't want to let Tampa find their their groove, their rhythm. I mean. Not something I'd like to root for. Uh, just in terms for you know the progress of the league uh, in terms of playing style, I'd much rather see you know Tampa style of you know run and gun uh, and lots of skill, lots of scoring, rather than you know hunker down like Dallas, score an early goal, take an early lead, and then just kind of sit on it uh, until the game ends. Yeah, man, Dallas being in the Stanley Cup final is really trippy. Like, do, do you agree with me? Because like, I feel it feels like they should. I don't know, be just one of those teams that's destined to be, I don't know, on the playoff bubble and maybe make a run to the conference finals every once in a while. I don't be, yeah, because they finished like first in the West a couple years ago in 2016, I think. And people were saying, oh, look out for the stars. All they need is to get a good goalie and they'll be unstoppable. But as it turns out, that year was pretty much a fluke. Ben and Sagan never really, you know, reached that Art Ross contention kind of level again. Even now, they really haven't. But they're, they're winning anyway, and I think a lot of it is to do with Anton Hudobin, who's playing you know more and better than he ever has in his career, and he's like 35 now, and someone's probably going to give him like a four-year contract. But uh, yeah, also, like I guess Miro Haskinen's made a really big difference. But like I don't know. We talked about this last week. Like You look at their forward group. like It's pretty good, but not great. They have two pretty good defensemen and a bottom pair of Andre Sekera and Joel Hanley. And I mean, yeah, Ben Bishop has been injured the whole time. It's very strange to see this team, you know, go through Colorado, albeit very injured Colorado, and then the Vegas Golden Knights en route to the Stanley Cup final and now a one nothing series lead. Oh, yeah, it's it's so weird. Are you kidding me? It's just, yeah, Dallas seems like a team destined for mediocrity. And it's not just that, like, you know, heading into these playoffs, we're saying, oh, it's going to be anybody's conference up in the West. Uh, there are really two, you know, headliners, front runners in the Avalanche and the Golden Knights. And, you know, I think most people thought that, you know, at, by the end of it, one of those two teams will have made it out of a pretty weak Western Conference this year. And the fact that Dallas, 
they took that 3-1 lead against Colorado, managed to finish them off in seven. And then, I mean, Vegas really never found their footing against Dallas. And Dallas just had their way with them in five games. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's weird. Like the, the roster, you, you head into this thing, you head into the playoffs, and they did not have a good round robin at all. They were terrible. Uh, and just you even look at their season that they've had so far. They started off, what, what was the big thing? Like 1-7-1 one, one or something like that? One. Yeah, it's, it's absurd. That's absurd. You lose 7 out of 8 or 8 out of 9, actually. Uh, and usually that means you're not making the playoffs. And not only, like, this wasn't a product of a weird year where, you know, they made it because there was 12 teams. They were the fourth, they were the fourth seed in the Western Conference. And, I mean, just a remarkable turnaround. But even then, you look at them in the bubble, coming into the bubble, you played how they played their round robin. Yeah, did not inspire confidence at all. Nobody really gave Dallas a shot. Many people picked them against Calgary, both of us included. Uh, and, or picked against them, uh, against Calgary. And... Yeah, it's just strange that they've made it all the way here. It's just one of those teams. They, they kind of slid under the radar. Uh, they did their business. And all of a sudden, they've beaten the two powerhouses in the West. They're in the cup final. And they've even taken a game. They've taken a one nothing lead. We even said in our like uh, our playoff preview back, I guess, near the end of July, when we were making our predictions, we said looking at those four round-robin teams in the West, Dallas, St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas... I think we said Dallas really seems like the odd one out, and we both picked them to finish last in that round robin, finish the four seed. They ended up just beating the Blues in that round robin to get the three seed and play Calgary instead of they would have been playing Vancouver. Then maybe they're not even here. Maybe they lose to the Canucks in round one. Who knows? Um, I just I just saw though it just came up on my TL dumb decision. But actually, I knew this part, but uh, before the Stanley Cup final started, his model had Tampa Bay at a seventy three percent chance to win the Stanley Cup. And, of course, uh, that would mean 27 for Dallas. And now, after Dallas has won Game 1, Dallas has bumped up to a 47% chance to win. So having a series lead and still being under 50-50, I guess that shows the the disparity, at least on paper, between these two teams. And apparently Tampa Bay is still the more likely of the two to end up winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, I mean, I I see why. They they are the heavy favorite, right? Uh, And so you want to make a pick? Like, uh, I know one game's already gone, but take it into account. Both of us probably would have picked Tampa uh, if it was 0-0. But knowing now what you saw in the first game, what's your prediction for the rest of the series? Who's winning the cup? Uh, my prediction, hmm, it's kind of, this is the second time, I think, that we've made a prediction one game into a series, and it was when Dallas was up one nothing on Colorado. I think we both still stuck with the Avalanche, despite that, and it didn't quite work out that time. Hmm. But I think I think hmm, this is a hard one. This is very hard. You go first. You go first. I want to see where you pick. Okay. All right. So, I mean, I have after that game one, I really I have some worries about Tampa. I mean, that Islanders series, the end of it, uh, you could tell it really took its toll on them because I mean, those are just two exhausting games just to watch. And I can't imagine like the, the ment- not just the physical game, because it did go to overtime that game six, but also like, you know, staying in it mentally, you can't make any mistakes against the Islanders or they'll hit you with that counterpunch. Uh, and yeah, I, I, they look gassed. And, and lots of people said it last night when they were watching Tampa. I mean, they really couldn't get it going. And, you know, one nothing. That first game is usually very important. All the games are very important, equally important. But game one in particular, you know, you're really trying to set the tone for the series. Uh, but you know, I, I really trust the talent here. I think 
I think Stamkos hopefully comes back. I wouldn't bank on it, but if he does, I mean, that roster just gets even more stacked. And yeah, you saw you, yeah that, that bottom pair of Bogosian Shen wasn't very good last night. But I think the rest of the roster can overcome it. Uh, Vasilevsky, I mean, yeah, Vasilevsky's had a fantastic postseason, underratedly so. And so I think you can go punch for punch with Hudobin when it comes to it. And so I'll take Tampa. I'll take it way more shakily than, you know, if you asked me yesterday, I'd take Tampa pretty confidently. But after watching what just happened, uh, it really is shaky. And so Tampa in seven uh, is my pick. All right. Uh, that's where I was leaning towards also. I think Tampa is going to be able to bounce back from this. I think we are we are looking exactly eye to eye here. I'm picking the Lightning in seven as well. Uh, yeah, because, I mean, you know, people talked about heading into the season, like if that uh, that Blue Jacket sweep from last year, you know, revealed some sort of deep flaw in the Tampa Bay Lightning. And they've shown this year, at least throughout the playoffs, that wasn't the case. Like, you know, they kind of have a little bit of more... What what's the the word people use? Uh, I don't know, iron iron will or whatever it is. They beat the right. Blue Jackets in that five overtime game, even though they you know they knew how important it would be in that game one to lose, and then oh here we go again down the same path, and same kind of thing with the Islanders. They get they're a little shaky in in game five and they lose, but then they bounce back and win game six. You know, same kind of thing. So I think we're looking at a similar situation here. Even though Dallas is is probably their strongest opponent so far, if you take into account that. Boston kind of fell apart after Halak played a little too much in a short stretch, then um, then it's you can see why they're in the Stanley Cup final, I guess. But but I'm still picking Tampa Bay in seven, and uh, yeah, well it's funny. I was thinking about like if Stamkos comes back, how they play around with the lines, and this is kind of isn't such a important topic of discussion, but like I could see them wanting to keep all the top nine together, especially that uh, Gaudreau, Gord, Coleman third line and maybe just put Stamkos on the fourth line with Cedric Paquette and Patrick Maroon and see how that goes just for fun <laughs> I mean could you imagine a team so stacked they, they, they can afford to play the, to put Steven Stamkos easy with the lineup in the cup final on the fourth line uh just to goes to show that team is stacked head to toe and yeah I mean look when you look at Tampa's you know the the, the route they've taken here I mean it seems like they've faced the gauntlet of you know old school defensive hockey, right? Uh, and they get they keep getting better and better, aside from Boston. Uh, but even Boston, you could really kind of put them in there uh, in terms of, you know, they do play very cohesively. But, you know, not not quite the level of the other three teams. I mean, Columbus, uh, they just relied on, yeah, who was it, Corpusalo to make all the saves and from all the, you know, from the perimeter because they, they really relied on their defensive structure. They take another step up with the Islanders, who, you know, known for that, just playing defensively in that trot system. And then now you were against Dallas, uh, against a system that's, yeah, obviously worked against powerhouses already. Uh, Just kind of like the Islanders. They're very similar in their playing style. It's just that the Islanders don't have scoring talent. Meanwhile, Dallas does. And Dallas does, uh, they have that first line, and they have, you know, youngsters like Gurianov and uh, Kibiranta. Uh, and so, yeah, it just seems they it keeps like they, they keep adding levels to this defensive, uh, you know, defensive minded teams in terms of who Tampa's facing. And that gives me confidence because they know what they're facing up. They're, they know what they're going up against uh, because they've faced it twice before. They've overcome it uh, twice before. And yeah, it gives me it gives me confidence that Tampa knows exactly what they're going up against. I mean, you look at teams like Vegas and uh, Colorado. I mean, they didn't 
they didn't really get a taste of what Dallas. Uh, I think what a lot of what Dallas's advantages come from from this playoffs is that you know they were just underrated. Nobody was really giving them the shot, and I mean they just you, you, the, the the system that they played with kind of hit everybody by surprise. But for Tampa, I don't think it will be a surprise because that's what they've been facing all playoffs. And mm-hmm. so yeah, I, li- I like Tampa's t- chances here. Uh, because yeah, they they beat the ultimate defensive team in uh, New York, and so yeah, I think they'll they'll be able to come off flying in game two. Uh, at least I think so. We're about sixteen minutes in now. Uh, are you ready to rant about Joel Edmondson's new contract? Uh, are we gonna quickly recap what happened in the other two series first, like the the, the conference eh. final series? Okay. Sure, you can you can if you want, I guess. But uh, well, I there was the the game five with. Dallas and Vegas, where Vegas had that um, they had two nothing lead in the third period, and Dallas said, "Not today. We're gonna win the series now and go to the Stanley Cup final." And Dennis Gurianov got that overtime goal. I think it was, by the way, this is always a funny thing to look at. I think it was Dallas who did not touch their uh, conference champion trophy, which I always mix up the names. I think the West is the Clarence Campbell, and the East is the Prince of Wales. And Tampa Bay, on the other hand, did touch their Prince of Wales trophy after not touching it five years ago when they lost in the finals to Chicago. So shaking up, shaking up a little bit over there. Not sure how much touching or not touching the trophy plays into it, but it's always interesting to see which decisions the teams make. Yeah. Uh, so so if the Dallas if Dallas wins the series, uh, we can chalk it up to touching the trophy, of course. Uh, that is <laughs> the main cause. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Vegas-Dallas, Vegas couldn't score. I mean, that was the big thing, right? Uh, they dominant team. They held it even through that game five. I mean, yeah, they came out to that lead. But look, Dallas, they persevered. Hudobin was fantastic. Uh, I would say the star of that series, uh, pun intended. And I mean, yeah, Vegas and Dallas, they just, they played their defensive system. They scored with their, their guys scored when they needed to. Uh, And yeah, Vegas stifled yet again. Uh, I mean, only the third year of their existence, but I mean, you can sense their disappointment. I think they expected to go to the final, uh, especially looking at that matchup. They didn't have to go against Colorado. They were going against lowly Dallas. I, I really think, yeah, it, it's got to be disappointing for them. Uh, and it felt like they were the better team. They just couldn't get the puck into the net. Yeah, yeah, which has kind of been the the story of the past, I don't know, two years for the Golden Knights, apparently. Especially this year, it's been more pronounced with that Vancouver series against Thatcher Demko where they they almost blew it even though they had the puck about 99% of the time. And similar situation going on in Dallas, though, not quite to the same extent when uh, they were kind of stifled by Hudobin and the Stars' defense. And then so moving on to the other series real quickly, Tampa was the better fucking team. I mean, there's really not much to say other than that. Look, the Islanders, uh, they tried their thing. They tried their, we're going to sit back in defense and then you make a mistake and we'll counterpunch. But Tampa was just better than that. They didn't make those mistakes. Uh, it was a pretty clean series. Tampa looked the better team. Islanders didn't look very good against Tampa. Yeah, I mean, looking at Conn Smythe's candidates, maybe. Uh, Victor Hedman looked absolutely sweet. Just both ends of the ice, especially offensively. Scored a bunch of goals now. And so, yeah, I think it's right now the front runners. I would say, are uh, Hedman and Hudobin, depending on who wins and how this series uh, turns out. I'd say Braden Point more likely to win than uh, than Hedman. He's been absolutely fantastic, especially in you know with all those overtime goals. They definitely do play a part, especially when you think back to 2014 and Justin Williams winning because he was really good in Game Sevens. I think Braden Point, if the Lightning win, then he's probably got it pretty much tied up in a bow. Okay, 
All right. Uh, sure. So I think that's that's it for the playoff talk. Um, can't wait to eat shit when by the next episode, Dallas will have already finished the series. Watch it. Uh, sure. And uh, okay, so let's move on to Habs news and the big Habs news this week. Uh, something that we were dreading last week would happen. We we're just please no, not this. Uh, but yes, this. This is exactly what happened. A uh, complete nightmare. And I'm talking about Joel Edmonton, who the Habs traded a fifth round pick for his rights, was signed to a four year contract with an average annual value of three and a half million dollars. You want to take it away? All right, me first. Sure. All right. So one of the I'm just I'm kind of just you know going a little impromptu here, seeing where I go. One of the thoughts I just had was how strong the Canadians' left defense pipeline is. Romanov, of course, is the big name. Matthias Norlander, lots of fanfare about him as of late. Jordan Harris is another another good name. Jenny Fairbrother, maybe he has some upside. Uh, of course, and not to mention you still have Victor Mate, who exists on your team. And those are, those are all left-shooting defensemen. So I don't see how it makes any sense at all to sign Joel Edmondson, even if they didn't give up that fifth-round pick, even if this were when free agency opened, to sign Joel Edmondson to a four-year contract where hopefully what happens is you move him out when Romanov, Norlander, and the like are ready to to you know make the jump to the NHL. Now, it's, it's fine to have these placeholders here, Sherratt, Kulak, Edmondson, these types of players there, so that these players aren't rushed to the NHL, right? But man, that's a that's a bad contract. When Ben Chirot signed last year, that's the comparison a lot of people keep making. That was a three-year deal. That extra fourth year seems pretty unnecessary and scary to me. Like three years, you can live with that. Like Chirot, like one year's done now. It looks all right. He played pretty well. And now look, we only have two years left. It's nothing. Like we're almost halfway done. Man, that fourth year makes a really big difference. And and of course, all sort of five years is a totally different level. But man, I don't know. Maybe I should have like typed up some more cohesive thoughts about this because I'm having a, cause it was just, I, I, I saw this coming when they made the trade. I was like, yep. And there's the deal. Three and a half. Like this is probably the, the high end of what I could still be sane with like if it was like a fifth year then i'd probably be you know off the walls yelling right now or if it was like four million apparently there was a report that he was traded out of carolina because he was asking for like five and a half aav which was just absolutely ridiculous and i was like okay this actually might be good news because if he's really that you know asking for such a high number then montreal might just let him walk but that's not what happened they ended up coming to agreement and now here's the part i don't like one of the parts i don't like is mark bergevin seems to have a plan of playing Joel Edmondson next to Jeff Petrie next season when I over here and meanwhile not a fan at all of breaking up the Brett Kulak Jeff Petrie pairing that was absolutely fantastic and I don't know what it is about Brett Kulak that the Canadians always seem to get in the way of his success he played like the best I've ever seen in these playoffs and now here they come it looks like trying to sign a replacement for him on that second pair I don't like that that Brett Kulak slander I don't like the contract it's too expensive it's too long. There were plenty of other players that would have been available if you don't get Joel Edmondson that are of extremely similar caliber and a lot less expensive. Uh, yeah, a failing grade all around for Mark Bergevin after a, a success on the Jake Allen deal, failure on the Joel Edmondson trade and signing, and I hope he can redeem himself during the offseason with some other moves. 
I mean, look, I don't know. This, this is just a complete catastrophe in my eyes. Uh, this contract, what the hell are you doing, Mark Bergevin? Uh, it's just, on every way you put it, completely atrocious. So, first of all, the term. You're absolutely right. You look at the Chirac contract as a comparison, right? Three years. Uh, well, he had one good year. If he's terrible this year, all right, hopefully he's not. But if he is, he manages to fall off a cliff completely, then we only need to eat one more year. Meanwhile, Joel Edmondson, uh, I mean, look, this guy's a third pairing defenseman. Why are you giving him four years, three and a half million dollars? I mean, third pair is one of those places where you're supposed to go cheap. Supposed to go cheap. Young guys, guys who sign off the street, but you know, you're you're playing on like a veteran minimum kind of deal. Uh not guys you sign long term. And Joel Edmondson is a third pairing defenseman. There is no doubt about it. Uh when it comes to lineup, what the hell are you gonna do? You're bumping a bunch of guys down that frankly don't need to be bumped down. Uh so yeah, he saw a problem where there really was not one. You talk about pipeline. Well, yeah, you want to sign a guy one year, two years to wait for, you know, your Romanov, your Norlander to develop. To develop. You sign this guy for four freaking years. He's going to be taking up a spot for four years. And, you know, just how bad this contract is. I mean, wh- would you think you'll be able to find a trade partner for this contract today? The day it was signed? You think you could trade that yes. to anybody? I mean... I think you could. I think you definitely could. And I because, I mean, there are other teams... Who wanted Joel Edmondson and would have been totally willing to sign him for the same contract? That doesn't mean it's a good contract, but if you wanted to trade it today, you could probably honestly get profit. You could get a pick that's higher than the fifth now that he's actually signed. Like Vancouver comes to mind, Jim Benning, you know, always seems tempted to make deals like this. Maybe not this summer, but I don't know. The Oilers, the, I don't know, Anaheim Ducks. They're pretty close to the cap, but like some team with a lot of cap room would totally be willing to make a trade. But I feel like that's kind of an irrelevant conversation since there's no way Mark Bergevin's going to trade Joel Edmondson now. And not only that, you just said some team with a lot of cap. Who the hell has a lot of cap this year? I mean, well, there there are some teams that haven't even hit. Well, teams have RFAs to sign, I suppose. But like you look on cap friendly. Uh, a lot of teams are like right now the well the Ottawa Senators for example are 18 million under the salary floor, uh, Red Wings, Sabres, Devils, Avalanche all under the salary floor right now, and they do have RFAs to sign, a lot of roster spots to fill. But look, the Habs had cap space, uh, and they still do a bit. You know, they still have quite a bit. But I mean, it was uh, I would say it was a big asset of them to have a huge chunk of cap space. And, you know, with a bunch of flat cap coming, and also with your youngsters soon needed contract in the next one to two years, uh, with Cockney, I mean, Suzuki in particular becoming RFAs, you didn't, like, we were pushing for them to use the cap space. Uh, and we praised him for getting Jake Allen for one year. But one year. Not to, you know, jeopardize any sort of situation Four years down the road. I mean, it just makes no sense. And why Joel Edmondson? Why is Bergevay so obsessed with this guy who's clearly a third-pairing guy? He doesn't play on the second pair. He just doesn't. He never has. And is Bergevay just trying to build the 2019 Blues? Is that what's happening? Because it sure like he got Dallin in a deal that was fine. But Joel Edmondson? Yeah, he's, he's taking the worst parts of the Blues at this point uh, because... Fuck, I don't know how much he played. He certainly didn't play a big role on that team. Uh, and you look where he was this year against Carolina. 
didn't play big minutes there because their defense was stacked. And you wouldn't say that he was an important part of that decor either. It's just, I don't understand this, this obsession with him. And in a year with a flat cap, where inevitably the UFA market will be down, makes no sense to overpay a guy who plays this role. Uh, it's just, it makes you tear your hair out. And also, you also kind of saw this coming with Mark Bergevin. Uh, as you said, we saw the, we saw the, the, the trade, we kind of scratched our heads, and then we realized, oh shit, he's going to sign him to a big, long contract. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, and I mean, this is the classic Bergevin move at this point. Uh, this is the third overpaid UFA defenseman, uh, and uh, like in in what three four years, it's Osner, Sherrod, if you want to put him in that category, and now Joel Edmondson. Uh, just I don't know what it is with Bergevin and UFA defenseman, but let me tell you, I don't like it. I don't like it. Somebody needs to take the the the, the, the phone away from him on uh, this this time of year. Because kind of like Jim Benning, I just I just don't trust his big signings because his big signings are fucking third pair defensemen, uh, just disgusting. And yeah, it's just the signing sucks. This this it sucks. And uh, yeah, the fact that we saw it coming, maybe we need to get a new GM in here. I understand he's the, the team is looking up, but Jesus Christ, the, this kind of move is just brutal. Yeah, every GM has strengths and weaknesses. This seems like. Bergevin's weakness, I'm very confident in saying, the Alsner, Sherratt, Edmonton type of defenseman. And I think part of it is uh, something that worries me a little bit. It seems like Bergevin is overvaluing size among not really forwards, but defensemen. And we talk about the size bias a lot in our prospect profiles, especially. It's not just that play with prospects, as everybody knows. Uh, obviously, having a player who's really good and large, size can be a bonus. But when that's the first thing you look at, you should probably reevaluate the way you evaluate players. I mean, look at the, the defensemen on this team. Shea Weber, Jeff Petrie, Joel Edmondson, Ben Chirot, Brett Kulak. They're all at least like six foot, six foot two, and most of them are a little bit taller than that. They're all within the six two to six foot five-ish sort of range. Mete is the only the short one there. Five foot nine, of course, one of the shortest defensemen in the NHL. And everyone's talking about how he's a... Uh, probably the most likely of the bunch to get traded. So a little bit concerning Mark Bergevin's philosophy on defensemen because, I mean, well, Jeff Petrie's obviously a good puck mover. And, I mean, to, you know, to value size a little bit for a defenseman is okay. But when all your defensemen have, you know, are, are big like that, it kind of seems like, hmm, maybe you're overvaluing it a little bit too much, especially when the guys you target are Joel Edmondson and Ben Sherratt, who don't have many other great tools about their game. You know, is Bergevin just building his defense core in his image as a player? I mean, <laughs> he was a defenseman uh, when he played and wasn't very offensive-minded. And so uh, maybe he sees this guys and be like, uh, he sees these guys and he's like, well, you know, that's what I would have liked to been back in the old days. And so let me just build my defense like that. Because, I mean, it's just, I don't get it. I don't get why you need, I don't, why didn't he just get like a one or two year, you know, like stopgap? If that, if he didn't even need this. He didn't even need Joel Edmondson. He doesn't even need like a left shot defenseman. I mean, sure, it's nice to have one. Uh, but on the third pairing, uh, he just, he didn't need this. He made a problem. He, he fixed a problem that wasn't there. And he fixed it poorly. Uh, and it's just, I don't understand. I don't understand. If you went and signed a veteran or really anybody 
for a couple of years, one year, uh, two years. So like, you know, if Romanov isn't what's expected out of camp, uh, then you can plug him in for the year and he'll be a reliable third pairing defenseman. But I mean, yeah, you talk about on that left side. Uh, it's just, you've got your guys. You've got Kulak uh, on the second pair who was, yeah, you're right. I don't understand. It seems like the organization has against some, uh, the guy because he just plays, he plays great. He plays great with Petrie and it just doesn't make sense why the guy, they want to supplant him. I mean, it was Edmonton who said, uh, Bergevay told me I was going to play with Petrie. And so, you know, yeah, obviously those things are set in stone or anything, but just the fact that that's the idea that Bergevay had is very concerning. And Mate, uh was, you know, maybe a bit shaky, uh, but he was a solid third pair defenseman that you could absolutely see develop over the years and become a solid guy. And yeah, you just look at, yeah, fuck you have Norlander and Romanov, the guy that, you know, you touted, okay, we're signing him uh, out of Russia this year. He's coming. He's try- we're trying to get him a spot out of camp. Well, you're really clogging up his path to, to get a spot out of camp with this signing. And yeah, just it's just from all fronts. Uh, it's just it makes no sense. You gave up a pick for this guy uh, to get him, and then you sign him to a bad contract. Really, really, Joel Edmondson. Uh, you know, mediocre defenseman who didn't play a big role in either Carolina or the Cup winning Blues. It's just it. I don't get it. I guess we can close this segment with some some happier Habs news. Uh, nothing's confirmed yet, but it looks like there's a pretty decent chance Cole Caulfield might be signing a one-year deal with Rogel or Rogla of the Swedish Hockey League. We were talking about how, uh, obviously, with the Big Ten college hockey kind of up in the air of when they'll start or if they'll play, and maybe some of these players going to junior, including Cole Caulfield. I don't remember which junior team owns his rights, but there was a lot of talk that he might be going to play in the CHL this season. Or the other option, of course, the Canadians could sign him and he would play with uh, either the Canadians if he made the team or the Laval Rocket. But now it looks like uh, he might be going to play professional hockey for a year in Europe in the highest level of hockey in the the Swedish league. And I think that would be a a great decision for him and for his development to play, you know, against, against men in a professional league for just a year before he comes back to North America and is hopefully, presumably, ready to join the Canadians in a in a very high role of high importance. Yeah, I like it. I like the move. Uh, I mean, don't need to sign him. Or, wait, no, they did sign him. But, I mean, yeah, nice. he gets to spend a year in Sweden. That's always fun. But also, you know, uh, it's just, it's probably a good step for his development too. Uh, you know, moving to a men's league. That's that's what's happening in Sweden. And yeah, I think it's a good step for his development and I'm happy about it. And as always, excited as hell for his uh, eventual rise to the NHL where he's going to score a bunch of goals. Can't wait. Well, Montreal hasn't signed him yet. So this wouldn't be like a loan situation. This would, this would because he's just like on the reserve list. So it's pretty much equivalent to an act like a Swedish player who he drafted uh, signing with their Swedish team, kind of like Matthias Norlander or something. Okay, that's even better. So you're not burning a contract, a year of the contract or anything. Yeah, not at all. Uh, not just, at that's all. That's just that's still to be determined. That's fantastic. So yeah, if you did have him play in the AHL, you would have to sign him, right? Uh, and burn that year of his entry level contract. And so yeah, you push it back a year, but then he gets to play in a men's league. Uh, that's I think that's that's a very good scenario for him. And if he wants to go to Sweden, looks like he does. Uh, that's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And. Uh, yeah, you're right. This this is a uh, contrast to all that Edmondson crap. Uh, some solid news for Cole Caulfield, uh, our savior. Want to talk about the trade now? Big surprise, okay. Minnesota right. Buffalo. Talk, 
talking about head scratchers. All right. All right. Yeah. So if if we we were upset about the Joel Edmonton contract, but if we were Minnesota Wild fans looking at this trade, I think at least five times the frustration probably because I I, I so I saw it come up stall for Johansson, and that was the first thing I saw. So like I don't know which stall it is or which Johansson it is because <laughs> I mean because there are multiple around the NHL like prospects. I don't know. So I'm thinking like what Mark Stall, Jordan Stall, Eric Stall. I don't know. And I mean. I was I would have been very surprised if Jordan Stall probably the most surprised, but Mark too. Like I, so, I didn't know what to think. Like all of these stalls getting traded would have been a surprise, and of course, it ended up being Eric, the top line center, well, previously the top line center of the Minnesota Wild, who makes three point two five million dollars against the cap, and I think about that in actual dollars this coming season, gets traded to Buffalo to be their best second line center since Ryan O'Reilly, who I mean, is obviously still a big step down from Ryan O'Reilly, but their second line center for the past season has been uh, the guy they now traded away, Marcus Johansson, four and a half million dollars against the cap. For those of you keeping count, that's 1.25 million more than Eric Stahl and about that in actual money. So he costs more against the cap. Johansson does than Stahl costs more actual money than Stahl. And by pretty much every single metric, you can look at this from uh, is worse than Eric Stahl. I know he is five or six years younger, which could make a difference except for the fact that they both have one year remaining on their contracts. So Johansson spending one year with the wild and then walking while Stahl spends one year with Buffalo, then walks is an extremely feasible scenario. So it's not like Johansson is cost controlled or anything like that. There is really no benefit at all that I can see from Minnesota's point of view, especially their, their center depth was pretty weak to begin with. Now they traded away their best one for Johansson, who can and has played some center, is probably better suited on the wing. So now Minnesota's probably looking at a situation where their centers, unless they make some other big moves, are Luke Cunning, Marcus Johansson, Joel Eriksson Ek, and Nick Bugstad. Or maybe you move one of them to the wing and get Victor Rask in the lineup. So, I mean, you know, I was thinking, like, what could Minnesota possibly have to gain from this? There must be some sort of explanation of Bill Guerin's thoughts here, even if they're not necessarily defensible. There must be something. And the best the best he could come up with in his little press conference was uh, that he wants to make changes to shake things up because if things stay the same, then the team doesn't get any better. So essentially, he is literally making a trade for no other reason than to get rid of a, of any player and bring in any other player just to see if it could possibly help improve the team. I mean, we were, Bill Guerin, it looked like he was doing a pretty good job before that Jason Zucker trade was pretty good a little earlier on. We praised him for the Bugstad deal too. Then he goes and signs Jonas Brodin to that big contract. And then this trade, like a day later, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like I, I said, like if someone on like the cap-friendly armchair GM forum had proposed this deal, then they're getting ruthlessly bullied. I mean, this is, yeah, complete nonsense. Complete fucking nonsense. I mean, it makes no sense. Uh, it's just, look, you talk about, okay, Johansson's, what, six years younger, five years younger? Well, it's not like he's in his point. This guy's 30 years old. This guy's 30 years old. This He's not getting any better. He's reached his ceiling. He's only going down from here. And only that, at 30 years old, he's worse than Eric Stahl at 36 years old. And I think that's all you need to say about Marcus Johansson. I mean, yeah, what are the Wild doing here? It seems like they're trading, they're trading away... Uh, Eric Stahl so that they can get Marcus Johansson and hopefully he'll be you know almost as good as Eric Stahl on the wild in that position 
uh, because it seems like they want to put him at center where he, where, you know, th- this has already been an experiment, the Marcus Johansson center experiment, and it was a failure. And so that's why, you know, he belongs on the wing. And so just the, first of all, yeah, the rationale is completely ridiculous uh, from Bill Guerin. Oh, I want to shake up the team. Just nonsense. But well, you want to shake up the team by making it worse? Uh, that's an interesting strategy, buddy. Uh, just, uh, okay. I mean, that's way, one way to shake things up. Uh, just like, you know, dumping everything onto the ground. Uh, just, I mean, just complete. I'm just flabbergasted. You you look at it. It's just, it's one for one. There's really, it's one for one. There's really not much more analysis that you need than to just look at the two players and see which one's better. And then you see that one is market, mar- like notably better in Eric Stahl. And the other one has little to no upside in Marcus Johansson. Uh, and I just, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Uh, it seems like you want to make the playoffs. Uh, you signed Jonas Brodeen for seven years, but then you go turn around and do this bullshit. Uh, just, I mean, I don't get it. I don't get it. And Eric Stahl was a very likable player. You know, uh, this guy's old, but he's wily and he gets it done. And he's very good. Uh, and, you know, good for Eric Stahl. But, I mean, and, but you traded him away. He was probably one of the more likable players on the wild, to be honest. And, mm-hmm. uh... Now he's gone. Uh, he's sent to Buffalo, exiled to Buffalo. Poor guy uh, in the twilight of his career. Uh, he doesn't deserve that. And I mean, it's just, it's completely mind boggling to me why you would make this trade. There is no upside here. You're getting worse. That's it. That's it. There's nothing more to say than you're trading a good player for a worse player with no sweeteners whatsoever. It's just, that's it. That's all. It's a one for one deal. And. I mean, yeah, these one-for-one deals, just it, the analysis is so much easier because, you know, you see exactly where you're getting, you know, two players like this. And when the value is so lopsided as it is right now, it's just, you, you, you know, it just makes no sense. What was this guy smoking when he made this trade? I don't, like, seriously, like, who, why did he look at this and think, okay, that's a good trade. Let, let me go do that. Uh, it's just, what? Yeah. What? Yeah, we're racking on Bill Guerin a lot, but... I mean, Kevin Adams, you get this new GM job in Buffalo. Everyone's kind of skeptical because you're really good friends with the Pagulas and have been for a while. But I'm pretty sure this is his first his first trade. And I mean, uh, looks like a, about as big a success as you can have with your first trade, trading a man player for a much better player uh, who is also cheaper. And a second line center, of course, one of the biggest holes on the blue, on the, not the blues, on the Sabres ever since they traded Ryan O'Reilly away in that terrible trade. But now they have Eric Stahl. It's filled at least for the coming season. Hopefully, maybe Dylan Cousins will be ready to step into that role after after Stahl, I don't know, walks at the end of the season. Or maybe if they extend him for two years, if he likes it in Buffalo, wouldn't count on anyone liking it in Buffalo, but you never know. Kevin Adams, of course, he, like he still has his work laid out in front of him. Tons of RFAs to sign. Olofsson, Reinhardt, uh, Dominic Cahoon is another one. And I don't know, maybe finding a goalie would be nice, but this is a really good start for him in his tenure with the Sabres. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of trade, one for one. Uh, it's the stuff that you dream about as a GM, right? You instantly make your team better, and there's really no strings attached whatsoever. You didn't give up, you didn't give up anything out of your future, uh, and you just you just got better. And you know, you talk about yeah, you you do it on on, on you do it on an armchair GM forum or whatever. You'll get roasted. You try to do this in a video game like NHL two uh, twenty one, and you try to propose this trade, you'll you'll get laughed out of the the fucking trade room. Uh, it's not going to get upset, accepted. <laughs> and so room. I mean, like the trade room. That's right. And so just uh, no, I it just yeah, Kevin Adams, good for you, man. Good for you. Uh, you're one for one. 
And it's just, I mean, you got to imagine they're on the phone call, you know, Kevin Adams calls Bill Guerin and be like, you know, yo, I'm looking into Eric Stahl and I'll give you Marcus Johansson and he's about to continue. And then Bill Guerin just cuts him off and says deal. And then he's like, oh, okay, sure. Uh, and <laughs> because really there's no other, <laughs> I mean, like, I don't understand how they got to this trade. I, I really don't because Maybe he uh, thought he was getting Ryan Johansson. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Um, he, either way, I mean, at that point, he, if that's the case, Bulgarian might look smarter uh, in that scenario than he does just trading a better player for a worse player. Uh, it's just complete incompetence. And this guy has no reasoning whatsoever. When asked when, he didn't even start to praise Johansson. He just said we needed to shake things up. And no thank you. Um, yeah. you know, uh, just no thank you. Mm-hmm. One other possible Bulgarian rationale is that he is just trying to tank for Aturati, or I think there's Akurati. He has a brother who was drafted in like the sixth round, and I mix up their names, but is right right now possibly the top prospect for 2021. Maybe he's trying to tank for what is one of the weakest drafts in recent memory, uh, surround immediately right after one of the strongest. So, uh, that's one possible explanation that I can come up with. But in this week with this this saddening news for the Minnesota Wild, there was actually another piece of maybe somewhat melancholic news for fans of that team. Miko Koivu, who's been the captain of the team for a long time, who was uh, one of their first draft picks, I think, in uh, 2002, which I think was like their third year, or 2001, maybe he was drafted sixth overall. Uh, and he's been the face of that franchise for basically 20 years, and he won't be coming back. Uh, they won't be re-signing him. Bill Guerin, once again, I don't know, trying to shake things up, move on into the, the future or whatever. So their captain, I think it's a pretty good chance Koivu is not at all washed up, and he's probably going to sign somewhere else, maybe for pretty cheap to be a, a third or fourth line center. A lot of teams would probably be interested in a player like that. And uh, talk about who maybe um, now where the C in Minnesota, uh, Zach Parise, Ryan Suter, neither one of those would really be a surprise, or maybe maybe they'll go, they'll go captainless for a while. I mean, if they hadn't made this trade, I would have said Eric Stahl. I would have said Eric Stahl, but I guess yep. not. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, uh, Mika Koivu. I mean, this guy's been, uh, you know, just in the league my entire life, basically, and on the wild, basically, my entire life. And so, uh, yeah, it really, really seems like the identity of that team next to, like, Suter and Parise. And, uh, I mean, yeah, sounds like they didn't really offer him any sort of contract uh, to end his career in Minnesota. And so, you know, eh, I mean, it's got to suck to be a Wild fan right now. Jesus Christ. Uh, You see this trade and then, you know, a franchise guy like Miguel Coy, I'm sure he's very well liked in Minnesota. Uh, Just, uh, he's gone now. Uh, Brother of Saku. Uh, And uh, just, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play out as a solid bottom six forward. For the next couple of years, and then he retires, and that's Miko Koivu. Uh, just, uh, I mean, the Wild could have used them. Fuck, they, the Wild could have used them, and, and uh, I mean, looks like they're not. So, uh, Bill Guerin, head scratcher, head scratcher, because uh, the way he's filling out the roster for next season, I mean, maybe they really are tanking for the draft, because uh, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I can kind of picture the Wild, desperate for centers, going to over overpay for the likes of... Carl Soderberg and Derek Broussard in free agency, but I guess we'll see. Or maybe they'll try to bring back uh, Michael Granlund and play him at center, even though he's much better suited on the wing. Options. Options for the Wild moving forward. Uh, speaking of UFAs, how do you like this segue? Alex Petrangelo, there were some reports on him. 
Uh, I think it was Darren Dreger who said the Blues are encouraging him to pursue unrestricted free agency, which reads a lot like the Blues aren't going to be bringing him back. But Andy Strickland kind of uh, opposed that and said, no, no, the Blues still are trying to bring Petrangelo back and are still pretty confident or at least hopeful that they can. So probably worth talking about a little bit. Uh, Obviously, the Maple Leafs, their name has been, you know, hopping around as it oftentimes is with big name free agents. Uh, I'm not convinced that bringing in a 30-year-old Petrangelo for an expensive expensive contract and long amount of time is the right way forward for that team. Uh, obviously, just simply adding Petrangelo to any team makes you much better. He's one of the, I'd say, top five, maybe even top three defensemen in the entire NHL. But obviously, it's never just about that. It's a lot about salary cap. And tons of teams, specifically Toronto, are going to have a very hard time maneuvering around that. And I mean, you look at this from St. Louis's perspective, and that, that Justin Falk plus Marco Scandella contract just looks way worse now that Alex Petrangelo is much harder to afford. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the reports coming out of St. Louis were that they were lowballing uh, Alex Petrangelo at like seven something million. Uh, when, you know, comparables like Roman Yossi are up there at like nine million. Uh, and then they also apparently they asked them to like, uh, what, agree to the agree to the like agree to the the AAV, but then just like not know the the, the terms of the contract ahead of time, uh, which I mean, I mean, what, very shady. are you really trying to? Uh, yeah, very shady. And you're really trying to like do your franchise defenseman dirty like that? Really? Really? That's the crap you're going to pull? Uh, and yeah, you talk about Scandal Falk. I mean, holy shit. Spending, what, almost $10 million on those two players for like at least four more years with, for Scandal. Just for Scandal. Just Justin Falk, they saw him for like, what, seven years? Uh, at $6.5 million. Jesus Christ. And if, and if you know, signing Justin Falk and Marco Scandella costs you, what, Alex Petrangelo and like more because, you know, they. They could, if they can afford seven million dollars, you add. They're not going to not add all of the nine and a half million on. So you know just, that comes at a considerable cost. Those two contracts, uh, just like an at an opportunity cost level. And uh, I mean, those contracts are going to bite too. They're going to be bad fucking contracts near the end of them. Uh, but even right now, it's already coming to bite them because yeah, they they can't find that cap space. Uh, because they signed those two guys, it's just woof, woof. That's rough. And you know. I wouldn't be surprised to see him leave. Uh, teams like Toronto, I don't know how they're... I just, I just don't see them getting the cap space uh, to sign Petrangelo because he's probably going to come in around eight uh, and a half or nine or even maybe even higher if the market's there. And so, you know, why, you're going to trade Nylander, really, uh, to get a 30-year-old defenseman? Uh, it doesn't seem like too smart of a move there either. And so, Some people uh, are saying yeah. maybe you, you trade Anderson and bring in a much cheaper goalie, but that doesn't seem like a, a smart idea. No, because one of your, you know, your main biggest question marks is goaltending. They need a bona fide guy there uh, because Anderson's been kind of shaky, especially, you know, in the clutch uh, when it's time to win in the playoffs. And like, what, you're going to bring in a cheaper guy who's who's better than Anderson at coming in like at cheap so that you can afford uh, Alex Petrangelo. That guy just really does not exist uh, unless you're playing, I don't know, unless you're trading for uh, just like a Thatcher Demko caliber guy. But then at that point, you're trading huge amounts of assets, which frankly, the Leafs don't really have. Well, now they do because of the captain trade, but they, I don't know. I just don't see it happening for the Leafs. Uh, but I don't really see it happening for the Blues either. I mean, where's the cap space coming from? Uh, those two contracts, Falk and Scandella, really just jump out you, uh, jump at you off the page when it comes to like scanning their cap friendly. And so, uh, 
Yeah, Petrangelo. I don't know where he's going to go at this point. Yeah, well, the Blues could make room uh, by trading the likes of, I don't know, Tyler Bozak, Alex Steen. You find takers for them just for their last year of that contract, and room is pretty much cleared up. But I want to play a little game here because I mentioned Armchair GM earlier on Cap Friendly. And uh, as soon as we started talking about how the Leafs could fit it in, I, I remembered that for the past couple of days, Armchair GM has been flooded with uh, Petrangelo to the Leafs posts. So I'm just going to look at the one that was ju- like the most recent one. I'm, I haven't looked at it yet. I'm going to click on it now. It's called Easy Petro, and it's created by user OB16. So here we go. We're going to look at what they what they did. So, oh, look, at they traded Frederick Anderson and Justin Hall to the Minnesota Wild for Damien Giroux, who's, I guess, a, a, a mid-tier prospect or low-level prospect, and a 2021 first-round pick, uh, which, wait a second, this... Huh. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that that's um Toronto receiving Pittsburgh's 2021 first round pick that Minnesota got from the Jason Zucker trade. All right. Next trade, Pierre Engvall to Edmonton to, for a fourth rounder, then Alexander Kerfoot to Winnipeg for a third and fourth rounder. Uh they signed Ilya Mikheya for 1 year 950k, which seems uh pretty cheap. They signed Simmons for 1 year 800k, which seems pretty cheap. Spezza for one year, 700K, which is kind of realistic, actually, since Spezza just took that and seems willing to do the same thing again. Joe Thornton, one year, 700K. Aaron Dell, one year, 2 million, <laughs> which seems absolutely ridiculous since Aaron Dell is awful. Justin Schultz, two years, 2.6 million. Uh, good luck getting him to agree to that. And Alex Petrangelo, six-year contract, $8.3 million a year. And the lines they've got here for the on the lineup are... Janssen, Matthews, Marner, Hyman, Tavares, Nylander, Nick Robertson, Joe Thornton, Ilya Mikheyev, Wayne Simmons, Jason Spezza, Alexander Barabanov. Defense pairs, we got Riley Petrangelo, Jake Muzzin, Justin Schultz, Rasmus Sandin, Timothy Liljegren. Not sure what they did with Travis Dermott, but Travis Dermott, I guess he's an RFA, they just didn't sign him. And two goalies, Jack Campbell and Aaron Dell. That is this one particular situation in which the Leafs fit Petrangelo in under the cap. Oh, look, in the time I was looking at that, it looks like another one was posted. Uh, oh, no, wait, Petrangelo's not involved in this one. It's just another another Maple Leafs one. All right, okay. any thoughts on that yeah. one? Because there are a ton more if I you mean, want to keep going. Right, the, the thing is, right, uh, that it seems absurd, right? Not only uh, are, what, you're getting a bunch of, like, free agents for, like, under market value, but also, I mean, just look at the hoops you have to go through. Uh, who's your goaltender? Fucking Aaron Dell that, and Jack Campbell. That's the guy. Jack Campbell. That's who you're gonna. That's who you're gonna ride into a cup contending year in a league where uh, it's apparent that you need like like it's ideal and it's important to have two really good goaltenders if you're making a deep playoff push. And apparently, your two deep playoff contenders goaltenders are Aaron Dell and Jack Campbell. Really, two backups. Uh, if that's what it takes to to get Alex Petrangelo for the Leafs, and I mean, obviously there are a bunch of different scenarios. Uh, this is just one of them. But like, you're gonna have to jump through similar hoops in order to fit Petrangelo into that cap situation. And so it's just, yeah, I don't see it. I don't see it going down because yeah, you'll have to make big sacrifices elsewhere. In this case, it's goalie, which frankly is unacceptable for a Leafs team that you know they've already had their golden center problems. Imagine Aaron Dell as their starter. Uh, or, or frankly, anybody who's worse than Freddie Anderson, it's just, it's a recipe for disaster for that team. 
and and I like that recipe for disaster. But you know, it's a recipe for disaster. And so uh, just uh, it's just I don't see it happening because yeah, those hoops, those hurdles. I mean, you can read off another one and see what they did to to overcome these kind of things. But I mean, like, listen, you you signed Aaron Dell. He's your starting goalie, and you you signed a bunch of other guys for super freaking cheap. And even then, I look at that team and I go, "Yeesh, that's 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 another first round exit to me." To be fair, if uh, any team had a, a goalie tandem of Jack Campbell and Aaron Dell, Campbell's definitely the starter and Dell's the backup. Doesn't mean it's such a great tandem, but Dell, I can't I can't think of any other goalie in the NHL who he would be the starter instead of maybe like Jimmy Howard or something. But I don't know. Anyway. Uh, we still got some stuff to get to, and we're almost at an hour. So do you want to talk about Peter Laviolette now, the new Washington Capitals head coach, who I was relieved to see hired instead of Mike Babcock? Sure. I mean, it seems like it seems like the right hiring. It seems like the right fit for Washington, doesn't it? Uh, just mm-hmm. big name off the free agent. Uh, or the, One segue we could have been speaking about UFAs. Um, you know, Peter Laviolette. And so, uh, <laughs> just, uh, I mean, look... He's been a guy on the market for a while now looking for a job, and he's big name, big name coach. And, I mean, after that Reardon experiment, uh, just really flopped. And so you, you wonder, maybe they should have just paid up for either Trotz or, or one of those other UFA coaches uh, when it came time to replace Trotz. Because, look, you've wasted two years of Ovechkin's career now under Reardon. Uh, everybody's older. They, this team's just... I mean, look, they, they were good this regular season. They were very good. They, they fell flat in the playoffs. And yeah, this team's not getting any younger, man. This team is not getting any younger. And if you want to win another cup, the time is now. And really, the time has been the last two years as well. And and it just it feels like they've wasted them because Reardon, he was outcoached. He was outcoached against the Islanders. He, he just wasn't a very good coach, I found. And uh, I mean, yeah, there are a couple of wasted years, but uh, just the, the right hiring from here on out for Washington. Yeah, I think Caps ownership knows they made the wrong choice letting Barry Trotz go after that Stanley Cup because they just it really hasn't been the same since. They haven't won a playoff round since they let Trotz go. Lost in the first round two years in a row despite a couple good regular seasons. I could see a similar situation happening in Washington that happened in San Jose this past season. Maybe not to quite the extent where they finish third last in the NHL, but miss the playoffs? Like, maybe. I could see it happening. And I could. Someone made a uh, a point that now that Ovechkin and the Capitals have their Stanley Cup, that the primary focus will be get helping Ovechkin break the goals record. Which I mean, that seems like the seems like the best way to do that would be building a really good team around him and thereby improving your chances of winning the Stanley Cup. But but I don't know. Who's to say? Uh, anyway, one interesting thing to look up with the Capitals and Ovechkin is that like Ovechkin's going into a contract year, his first one in like, I don't know, 12 years or something. And apparently his first ask is $12 million, which Jesus. he might end up getting yeah. he might end up getting for being the greatest goal scorer of all time. Hard to kind of hard to argue with, with that title, but uh, still would kind of be, it would be, well, I mean, it's only really like a two and a half million dollar raise, at least against the cap. So you could still definitely build a really good team around someone like that, especially if Ovechkin doesn't really tail off. But Washington, they're going to have to work out their goalie situation. Uh, if they believe in Samson enough to be a starter, they're going to have to get a really good backup. Uh, they really got to shore up that defense because that Matt Niskanen trade did not work out with Radko Gudis coming the other way. And now they've got some holes to fill there, holes to fill depth forward. And uh, apparently there are like Kuznetsov trade rumors, which I don't think is going to happen. Makes absolutely no sense. But like Laviolette's a great coach. Uh, I assume he's way better than Todd Reardon was. So maybe that is just 
all you need to bounce back. Coaching is pretty important, as Barry Trotz has has proven. But uh, there's still some roster holes to plug. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the, the comparison to San Jose, I mean, really any team that, that really gets old, uh, it's got a potential to just completely fall off a cliff one year. But I think they're getting an upgrade at coaching, and I think, yeah, I think it's... I, I, I'll, sure, you, you say you wouldn't be surprised if they miss playoffs. I wouldn't be shocked. But I still do expect them to make the playoffs. Uh, I didn't hear about those OV contract uh, like demands, but like Jesus Christ, really? This guy's thirty-five already. Uh, you're gonna pay him twelve and a half million dollars when he doesn't? He's not. I mean, he does one goal and he does the most important thing in hockey, which is to score goals. But other than that, he's not very good like defensively at all. And so twelve and a half million for that? Twelve million. Uh, twelve million. Or twelve no million dollars. But I mean, that's a lot. That is a lot. I understand it's Ovechkin. I understand. But $12 million for a 36-year-old player, that's yeah, that's a lot. That I don't know. It's just... Okay. We'll get to it. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it, I guess. But, uh, I mean, we might be looking down the barrel of a contract showdown uh, heading into Washington because... Oh, boy. I don't see any scenario where he walks, though. Like, they'll, they'll work something out. And I think if Ovechkin wants to, he could just say, no, uh... 12 million is my number and you can give it to me or else someone else will. And then Washington will give it to him. Uh, so I think I would predict Ovechkin, maybe he'll end up with, if not 12, something close to that on like a, a four or five year contract. Wouldn't be a surprise to see something like that happen. It's interesting because we haven't really seen in this cap area, uh, these star players who signed massive deals uh, when they were coming off like their ELCs now having to sign their next contract. We're seeing it with Ovechkin very soon. Uh, Sidney Crosby, uh, I'm going to look at his. I think he has two years left. Uh, no, sorry. No, way more than that. Uh, he has one, two, three, four, five years left on his deal. So he'll be he'll be 37 or 38 when that's done. But uh, So I guess that 2025 is when that expires. So not quite the same situation. Malkin, though, that's an interesting one. He only has two years left on his deal. So he's going to need an extension when he's 35 or 36. Uh, interesting to see what that'll look like. So... I don't know. Lots of fun to look at. We have a couple other things to get to. Our prospect profile, our trivia segment, and we're already over an hour. But before we get to that, I want to mention something that we forgot to mention last week, which was very important. Yannick Duplessis, 17 years old. He was drafted by, I'm not sure which QMJHL team, but he was drafted into the Q. Hasn't played there yet. He's a AAA player uh, in Quebec, and he came out as gay about a week and a half ago, which is uh, a very big step forward for for hockey it's it's great to see somebody you know kind of take that first step very very brave and very courageous and i mean it's hard to talk about this though without talking about the the homophobic comments that come on you know instagram twitter posts absolutely disgusting to see and a lot of it isn't uh so so blunt i guess you could say it's much more subtle you know jokes about oh no one's gonna want to you know be in the locker room shower next to him and that's extremely harmful stuff to say and it's a lot of the reason why so many hockey players haven't come out or maybe why there aren't even many lgbt hockey players because the hockey culture is is so toxic and makes them so uncomfortable yeah and so first of all yeah absolutely uh you have to commend yannick duplessis uh absolute trailblazer and so yeah it's nice to see that kind of thing but yeah, you talk about, you know, homophobia is rampant. I mean, we've talked about racism a bunch before, but homophobia is absolutely like you talk about those kind of things, those kind of comments. Uh, you say they're more subtle. I, I don't think they're subtle. I think they're very blatant uh, because it's just become so normalized in hockey to make that kind of, a kind of, 
you know, homophobic comment. And so, yeah, it's not a surprise that I just I just think that there aren't that many LGBTQ players in hockey because it's just such a toxic environment for them. Uh, and that's that's across the board. And it's just it's, and so, yeah, you, you see this kind of thing and it makes you hopeful. Uh, yeah, and hopefully uh, we can see more players like that. Uh, I mean, it's just yeah, it's it's really a culture problem in all of hockey because uh, it's just an attitude. It's an attitude thing. Homophobia is rampant. It's 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 such a problem. I mean, you see these kind of comments. Uh, not that's the thing. You don't just see these kind of comments. Uh, when you know you see a player come out like this, but also just it's become part of the hockey lexicon, unfortunately. Uh, for a lot of people, not for everybody, for a lot of people though. Uh, you know, homophobic comments. They just come naturally, and nobody's there to stop them in the hockey in the locker room. And so yeah, it's something that it just it needs to be it needs to be fought, it needs to be eradicated uh, within hockey. It's it's obviously a very big problem, and it's going to take a long time, especially if you look at the way hockey deals with these kind of problems. But uh, it's it's certainly an encouraging first step to see a guy like any uh, Duplessis come out like that. And uh, I mean, I, I wish all the best to him because uh, I mean, certainly a tough thing to do in the in this kind of environment. And uh, but he did it, and so uh, full credit to him. Yeah, like to people like uh, like you and me, like these homophobic comments aren't subtle, but to the people making them, they just feel like it just feels like a natural thing for them, and that's as internalized homophobia, whether it's intentional or not, which uh, a lot of the times it is. It needs to be worked out, and as you say, it like people wouldn't a lot of people, hockey people, hockey players wouldn't even think twice about hearing that kind of thing in the locker room. They wouldn't think because it's not as as outrageous as saying something like oh. I don't want any gay people on my team. It's much more it's much more subtle to, to them. And that's the kind of thing that you have to slowly work out. And a lot of times these people are thinking like they don't even realize they've done anything wrong. And that's what's that's what's so hard about it. And that's the kind of thing that a lot of times will take a really long time to remove. And like I think I think we probably had experiences like this in, I don't know, dating back to high school, even elementary school of people treating gay like an insult, like it has a negative connotation. And I think that kind of thing is probably very common in hockey locker rooms. And it's absolutely terrible and the kind of thing that takes a a long time to work out. But hopefully uh, Yannick Duplessis has made a a, a big change in that department. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're right to point out that this is not just a problem uh, in in hockey, right? It's, It's a problem in hockey because it reflects... Uh, a lot of what goes on in society and and uh, yeah, gay jokes are just are completely wrong, but they ha- they still happen in general life way more, way more than they uh, than they should be, which is uh, they shouldn't be happening at all. Uh, and so just uh, yeah, it, it's something we I mean, hopefully I think I think we're getting more aware of that more and more people, but you know we still have a long way to go uh, both in sports. And, and also just, you know, in, in general life, in general society. Uh, yeah, it's time to, it, it, it really is, uh, you need to call it out when you see it. And so we can build, you know, not an environment, a better environment uh, for the LGBTQ community because, you know, frankly, they're still uh, very much marginalized. And so, you know, we can build that uh, environment of, you know, just welcoming and all that. Uh, you know, if we can reflect it here in, our, in, in, greater, in the greater world, uh, it, it'll hopefully translate into the sports world, and I think that's that's where we can make a difference, right? We're, we're not part, uh, we're not hockey players. We don't we don't go into those locker rooms, but you know, by making by you know just making the affecting change in the world, uh, it'll hopefully be reflected into the, you know the locker room. So congratulations to Yannick Duplessis. Uh, we both wish 
the best for him in his career and in his life. And now we have our prospect profile for this week to get into. Are you ready to? Got your stuff yep. pulled up? Oh, yeah. All right. So as I said last week, we were going to be looking at uh, who Montreal might be targeting with their second round picks. And so we are looking at two players who are in their range on Bob's list. Jean-Luc Foodie, brother of Liam Foodie, number 46 on Bob's list. Montreal's second rounders, of course, are number 47 and number 48, since they have Chicago's from the Andrew Shaw trade. And the other player we're, we're looking at is ranked number 54 on Bob's list, Finnish center Ronnie Irvinen. A couple back, a little bit of background information on these players. Jean-Luc Foudy had 15 goals, 28 assists, 43 points in 59 games with Windsor of the Ontario Hockey League, the Windsor Spitfires. Ronnie Irvinen, meanwhile, playing with Asat in Liga, which is the top men's league in Finland. Five goals, 11 assists, 16 points in 52 games. So not quite as high production, but in a, a probably a higher level league than Foodie was playing in. Foodie was born May 13th, 2002 in Scarborough, Ontario. 5'11", 177. He's a center slash right winger, probably mostly uh, a center, and he shoots right. Ronnie Irvinen, born a couple months earlier, January 10th, 2002 in Espo, Finland. 5'9", 164. So he's kind of on the smaller side. He's a center mainly, and he shoots left. Okay. So which one uh, shall we start with? Uh, does it really matter? Uh, it does not really matter. I'll let, I'll let you take the floor first on the actual information. Okay. All right. I'll start with uh, Jean-Luc Foudy, I guess. Uh, and so, yeah, you talk to his 5'11". He still plays a bit undersized, I would say. Uh, he doesn't. He still needs to work on his strength. Uh, but this guy, I mean, he's an absolutely fantastic skater. Uh, and his game is the transition game. And he's really fucking good at it. Uh, talking about, you know, zone exits and zone entries. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, the, 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 the quote-unquote new NHL is geared towards is, you know, a lot of focus on the transition game. And this guy excels at it. Uh, just a great skater. And he knows how to weave in and out uh, and gain the gain the zone uh, with control of the puck. Uh, I mean, the, the, the questions with him uh, is, you know, the point productions. Uh, has been questionable, uh, especially this last season. And that's I think that's a reason why he is, like, you know, on Bob's list in the second round. Uh, this guy is very polarizing because, yeah, he does have those transition skills. But other things, uh, you know, that, that point production, it, he's got questions defensively. His shot is not very good. Uh, I mean, it's all right. And, uh, I mean, teams seem to figure him out near the, the middle of the season. Uh, that, I mean, that's why he's kind of tumbled down the draft boards. Uh, I think I think if you looked last year, he was probably a first round prospect. Uh, not so much this year, but uh, yeah, he's got a lot of tools. Where I mean, his transition game is just—you look at him, a fantastic skater, uh, and he's—I would say he's pretty elite in that sense. Uh, he's got a very strong passing game uh, within that transition ability. You know, he gets it into the zone, and then he'll make that pass to create an offensive chance. Uh, so I mean, in terms of skill set. Uh, if you're looking at him in the second round, if that if he does manage to tumble to to the Habs pick of what 48 uh, or 47, uh, I would really like that pick because I think he has lots of upside. If you can get him to work on a shot, which I I think he was working on near the end of the season, like he he really started to shoot more. Uh, because you know he was adjusting to the team's adjustment to him. Uh, I think if you can get him to work on him work on some strength, uh, I think this guy could be a very good NHL. 
Yeah, uh, you talked about like his his great offensive skills, great offensive player, but like especially what I was going to emphasize is how great of a passer he is. Uh, you know, setting up players in the offensive zone, and more specifically, great at passing into high danger areas, like passes to the slot for him succeed at an extremely high rate. So like shot assist, he gets a lot of that. And he's one of the best in the entire draft class of that. And that's what makes him special. And when you're drafting these players high, you, you want to look for qualities that they have that really set them apart. And Jean-Luc Foudy has that. And it's like those effective slot passes. And that can make him really effective on the power play too, especially. Uh, defensively, I mean, pretty decent. Great in transition, as you say. And super fast, just like uh, just like his brother Liam Foodie with the Blue Jackets. And uh, do, you want, do you want to talk about our little, hey, I'll do it. I'll tell our Liam Foodie story when we were watching the, the 2018 draft. And after Foodie was picked, Liam Foodie, 19th overall by the Blue Jackets, uh, they interviewed his mother. And she had a line that went like, um, oh, we're so proud of Liam. We never thought this would happen for him. And Taisei and I kind of appropriated that comment into a running joke where Liam Foodie's mother doesn't believe in him because she never thought he would ever be able to be drafted. And we didn't even, we didn't know about Jean-Luc Foodie at the time, but we were kind of, I think we integrated that into a part of the joke. Like she loves uh, Liam Foodie's siblings more than she loves him, which is of course not at all true. Please. This is just, this is just joke. This is just fun and games. And so, I mean, drafting, Liam Foodie's brother Jean-Luc to Montreal and hopefully getting to witness him in the NHL for a long time with our team uh, would be pretty fun. I think would be icing on the cake. Oh, absolutely. Uh, add to the memes. Uh, and I mean, ah, I, I mean, if I really do like him if if the, if he does fall to 48 uh, as a pick there. Uh, yeah, you just talk about drafting guys in general as a philosophy. You want to go after that ceiling. You want, because when you're looking for people to draft, you want to look for guys that, you know, typically you can't really acquire, uh, whether it's in free agency or by trade, unless you're paying a massive cost. Uh, and instead, you get them to be homegrown players. And and then, and then you get them at kind of a discount, especially on those earlier years. And so, I mean, yeah, you want to get those special guys, not just what your third, fourth liners, but also guys that, you know, you could absolutely slot into your first, into your top six. Uh, Jean-Luc Foudy, not you know, he's got... Quite a ways to go in terms of development, but I mean, I could absolutely see him being one of those guys uh, because he's got elite skills. Uh, his skating and yeah, his passing in the, in the transition game, uh, those high danger passing uh, attempts and his success at it. Just it, it's a great tool to have, uh, and I mean that's what you draft him for. And I would absolutely draft him in the second round uh, because yeah, we're looking for special skill sets in the draft. And I think he's got that in terms of uh, yeah, in terms of those skills. Ronnie Irvin, though, if we're gonna move on to if we're gonna move on to him. Um, I like him almost as much as Jean Luc Foodie. I'd be uh, very pleased as well if Montreal took him with one of the second round picks. And the reason for that is I bet if Irvin is like six foot tall, he's a first round pick, probably a late first round pick. Instead, he's ranked number fifty four on Bob's list. I think the size bias is definitely at play here. 16 points in 52 games for a teenager in the Liga is a pretty impressive offensive output. And it's because of his smarts. And like that's what makes him special. Like what makes Foodie special is the, the passing and the passes to the slot. Uh, Irvinen is a, a very smart player. Uh, strong defensively. He's drawn comparisons to Anton Lundell a little bit for that. Although Irvinen's, you know, a little bit obviously not as good offensively as Lundell and probably a little more inconsistent defensively even though he definitely has the strong tools 
And I mean, going back to his offensive skill, like that's there, kind of what you would hope for. And but what makes him really special is, you know, the ability to read plays defensively and offensively. And I think especially nowadays, that's a very important skill for a player to have. And Irvin definitely has it. Yeah. And, you know, another particular trait that I'll look at is this guy goes to the net, uh, whether, you know, he goes into bang a rebound or he throws the puck there in those high danger scoring chances. Uh, I mean, yeah, you'll love it. It just just to add on to that in terms of smarts, right? Uh, this guy knows knows what he's going after, and that's freaking goals. Uh, and uh, I can I can admire that. And uh, so yeah, but I don't know. Uh, me personally, you know, this guy needs to. He's another. He's obviously undersized, and so he needs to work on his strength. Uh, and he also needs to kind of work on his uh, agility a bit. But uh, I I personally don't. I mean, I I just think his projection. Uh, if he really pans out, is a really good third liner. Like, maybe second liner. Like, a solid second liner. But, like, really good third liner. And so, you know, compared to Foodie, I, I think the ceiling is not as high on Irvinen. Uh, Irvinen? 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 Uh, not quite sure. Irvinen. 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 Uh, because, you know, you look at you look at his skill set, right? Two-way center. Uh, he's got decent speed. Parks, himf- parks himself in front of the net. Can bang in a rebound. Can create some chances uh, by throwing it in front of the net, creating some high danger scoring chances. And you look at you know working that working that project into the NHL. Uh, I mean, to be totally honest, I really do think the ceiling is kind of capped. Uh, second liner, still a very good ceiling. Uh, I mean, worth the second round pick, I would say. But I really think he's a tier below uh, Jean Luc Foudy in terms of what he could turn into on the next level. Yeah, yeah, I understand that too. I would have Foodie ranked uh, a little bit higher as well. But uh, Hirvonen, there are a lot of really, really interesting things there, especially like, I'm not saying Hirvonen's going to turn into Mark Stone, but it's a similar situation with, with Mark Stone. Uh, he was obviously like a fifth or sixth round pick. And a lot of that was because like he didn't skate very well. And, you know, but what really got him to the next level was his smarts. And I mean, Hirvonen has that and that can really take you a long way. So I'm super surprised that on Bob's list, these guys are both in Montreal's range, more or less. Because actually, what I was looking at when I was thinking, hmm, who should we profile this week? I looked at who was in the 47-48 around that zone, and I picked my two favorite guys, and that's Foodie and Hirvonen. So uh, I think, honestly, personally, either of these would be good value in like the early second round. Like If Montreal still had like 39 and 40, those picks, I'd like that very much too to take Foodie and Hirvonen. And honestly, even like if a team took a flyer in like the very late first round, I'd I'd be like, okay, okay, I understand that, uh, and I could get behind that. I'd be I'm super happy if either either of these guys were Montreal's picks at forty seven and forty eight. And if they got both, I'd be over the moon because I'm pretty confident that both of these guys are going to be NHLers or at least one of them. Oh, absolutely. I think. Uh, I mean, even if they do have that ceiling, I mean, I think I think Irvin is a pretty safe pick. Uh, I think his skills. Uh, I, I think his skills could pretty solid. I mean, he's already played in that men's league, right? And he did pretty good for himself. And so, uh, I mean, I think the floor is higher on Irvinen. I think the ceiling's higher on Foodie. But yeah, if the Habs pick either of them, absolutely. I think it's good value. Uh, second round, right? You're not going to... Yeah, I mean, if they fall from the first round, yeah, I, I think I think the talent's there for both of them. Uh, they've got... They both got traits that make them special. They're not the ultimate safe pick, which is what you want to avoid. Uh, and so, yeah, I think... Yeah, 47, 48 would be great value, especially for Fruity, if you ask me. But Irvinen, Irvinen, whatever. Uh, I think solid pick, too. Uh, it just, yeah. Yeah, but I, I like both of these guys uh, upon, you know, further inspection. 
Well, the ultimate safe pick is Alexi Lafreniere, which you definitely don't want to avoid. But uh, yeah, I totally I understand what you mean in terms of teams thinking like, oh, I'll take Braden Schneider in the top 15, safe pick. Anyway, yeah. uh, are you ready for trivia? Yes, let's go. Awesome. Okay. You, you, right. you, you hyped been... it up before we started the episode. so I did hype see... it up. Yeah, that. I've been excited about this for the past couple of days because uh, as anybody knows who listened to last week's episode, uh, you gave me an arena trivia with a couple of some rhyming couplets as hints. And I was like, that's such a great idea. I'm going to make some rhyming couplets for my hints also. Now all I have to do is think about what I want the topic to be. Hmm, I was thinking, what's topical? The conference finals will have just ended. The Stanley Cup final might have just started. Uh, I'm thinking of like, oh, Conn Smythe winners, Stanley Cup final losers, and nothing was really clicking until I decided that the theme of this week's trivia should be, and I don't even remember how I thought of this, but the theme is the letter Q. <laughs> okay. All right. Awesome. There okay. are right. there are 14 players who played in the NHL at least one game this past 2019-20 regular season with the letter Q anywhere in their first or last name. 14 players. And all of those 14 players are the answers to my hints. All right? So if, if there are any players you're thinking of off the top of your head right now with a Q in their name, maybe jot them down because they will be an answer somewhere in this quiz. Uh, okay. All right. Um, so that so, so 14... All right. Yeah. So we have 14 players, but we only have 13 couplets because the last couplet, uh, two players are the answer to that question. And so that'll be that last question will be a, a worth two points. All right. And all the others are okay. worth one. So what do you want the threshold to be? I'm thinking around nine or ten. What what are you thinking? What's your level of confidence on this? I think I think nine is good. We gotta Yeah, nine's nine is a good one for me. Alright, okay. Yeah. Nine on fourteen is, is a winning grade. Alright, are you ready to begin with the first rhyming couplet in the players with the letter Q in their name trivia? Yes, I am. Okay, here we go. He plays for Columbus, but the Red Wings drafted him. A famous racehorse was named after him. Whew. Uh, okay. Um, famous racehorse um, was named after him? Okay. Uh, okay, let me think. So... Should there be a time limit on this? Because if you think if you're thinking of players without cues in their names, you could just think forever. So, that's true. Or I'll okay. trust you uh, if you if you think you can't get it to just to just concede the point. All right, sounds good. Um, famous. Okay, so Red Wings and Blue Jackets, and also Racehorse. Should I know this racehorse? Wait, was this like it was actually named after him? Yes, like it, was it was named, named after, after him. Like, okay. Is he really that notable that they want? Like, okay, I'm thinking, like, who's on the... I mean, Nick Foligno sounds like a guy who should have a Q in his name, but he doesn't. <laughs> uh, You're absolutely correct. <laughs> um, ooh. I, to Red Wings, maybe? Who's got Red Wings vibes on that team? Oh, man. I don't know. Probably doesn't start with Q. Um, I don't know. I don't have a hard racehorse time. thing. This wait, famous racehorse. Did you say famous racehorse? Famous racehorse. Yeah, he was like, all right. I guess I'm kind of giving you a little more of a hint here, but uh, he won multiple races back a couple years ago, and he was on the news and stuff. 
of miss this. Um, okay, I don't know. I give up on this one. The answer is Gustav Nyquist. <laughs> he named the horse after Gustav Nyquist? What was yeah, the horse's the, name? The horse's name was Nyquist. And there was a Red Wings oh fan God. who got who had a horse and named it Nyquist because he liked the Red Wings and Gustav Nyquist. And I think that <laughs> horse like won a triple crown or something. And it was like some wow. a super big deal. The first time in like 30 years or something. And uh, yeah, so I thought you'd get that one. I thought you were, I don't know, whatever. Man. I thought I was in tune with the equestrian world as well. But I guess not. I guess not. Uh, Gustav Nyquist, eh? All right. Good for him. Yeah, man. the horse's name horse. is Nyquist. All right. You're 0 for 1. All right, let's see if you can get this next one. Ready? Yeah. This is the nephew of Coach Q. How many goals has he scored? Very few. (laughs) All right. Uh, I I got this one in the bag. Uh, I think his first name is John. Uh, Yeah. John Quenville. Correct. You're one for two. John Quenville of the Chicago Blackhawks is number two. Yeah. He was the first guy I thought of when you said Q. Um, oh, the name all right. That I nice. down real quickly was John Quenville. Okay. Wow. Nice. All right. all right. Okay. Ready for the next one? Yeah. This player's name was in a magazine when he was picked eighth overall in 2018. Ooh. Okay. 2018. Uh, eighth overall. I'm pretty sure that's Quinn Hughes. Um. 2018, eighth overall? Yes, eighth overall. His name was in a magazine, right? Right? But, okay, that 20, okay, so who was that, like, yeah, it has to be Quinn Hughes, right? Um, But I thought he was seventh. <laughs> I thought he was seventh overall. I'm like, okay, Um, let me think. It was, da- it was Darlene. Then I was Sveshnikov. Then I was Kakanyemi, my guy. Then Ottawa went Brady Kachuk. Then famously Barrett Hayton was number five for Arizona. Number six was Philip Zadina, scored a bunch of goals, put pucks in net. Uh, and I thought Quinn Hughes came next. Am I missing something here? Um, who came after? Who came after? Um, pretty sure that was like the defenseman run that time. There was a defenseman run. Uh, Evan Bouchard? No, he went to the Oilers. Okay, can you say the clue again? This player's name was in a magazine when he was picked 8th overall in 2018. In a magazine? That's such a vague clue for Quinn Hughes, man. Uh, if it is, I don't, I don't right, know. Do I want to give you a hint and tell you which magazine? It was just like the Hockey News Draft Recap. That's the magazine I had in mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Alright. Wait, it wasn't... Wasn't Adam Boquist the guy? Did he go eighth? Did we have two Qs in a row in that draft? Yo, that'd be kind of hype. That'd be kind of funny. Um, yeah, the more I think about it, the more that pick more because I'm like I'm like ninety percent sure Quinn Hughes went seventh overall after Zadina. He was like the first defenseman uh, to go off the board that year. And so, besides Darlene, besides Darlene, obviously, but yeah, like in that little run, um, included yeah. I think it's Boquist, actually. Uh, funny, I didn't think of him, but now I did. Is it Adam Boquist? Correct. The answer is Adam Boquist. <laughs> Let's go. So we had two cues in a row. How how crazy is that? That's All that's right, crazy. ready for the next hint? I'm ready for the next one. 
This player's name was in a magazine when he was picked seventh overall in 2018. There it is. There it is. It's the boy, Quinn Hughes. Nice. You are three for four now. You missed Nyquist, okay. but you got the next three. All right. Okay. We're on. We're on track. We're on track. Question number five. The St. Louis Blues made out like thieves when they acquired this player for Ryan Reeves. Oh fuck! Jesus Christ! Uh oh! Oh my God! Oh my God! This is bad. I know this player. Oh oh! It's uh it's it's Sunquist, isn't it? Uh, isn't it Sunquist? Is that your guess? The name that uh, I let me just think because he's I'm pretty sure he's on the Blues. Um. Yeah, Oscar Sunquist. Correct. Oscar Sunquist is the one. You are doing pretty well. You're four for five. I was thinking maybe nine was a bit low, but I guess I guess we'll keep it. Won't change it okay. after the fact, but I think you'll be able to clear it pretty handily, unless it starts getting super hard right now. We'll see. I don't know. Did, how, right, did you, how did you? How did you manage the? How did you manage the difficulty on this? Does it get harder as we go, or what's the deal? Uh no, it pretty much stays constant all the way all the way throughout. I think, okay. right. or or at okay. least, or at least the hard ones are dispersed evenly. Okay. Next question. This Jets depth winger has never played for New York, but he shares a last name with Rene Bork. What? <laughs> he shares a last name with Rene Bork. Wait, hold the fuck! It's like that has a Q in it. Um. <laughs> Yeah. So you're telling me I have to guess this or because I don't know who this guy is. Yeah, uh, I know. You, this you know Jets depth winger has never played is. for New York, but he shares a last name with Rene Bork. Jets depth winger. First of all, just incredible rhyme. Uh, coming out Thank of the field. Uh, Rene Bork. So we at least I, I got the last name part of it down. Um, yep. What's his first name? <laughs> um, that's that's <laughs> the thing, isn't it? Can I? Can, <laughs> Can I just say Bork and then uh, Mr. No, Bork? No, I must have a first name. I must have a first okay. name. All right. Fair enough. Um, really, I have no fucking idea. Just no idea whatsoever. Um, so I'm just going through like very hockey lap first names. Like Mark Bork sounds a bit stupid. Um, and, you know, the name Evan or Owen is screaming at me. Owen Bork. Evan Bork. I like Evan Bork better. Okay, that's my that's my final answer. Evan Bork. Uh, it's not Evan Bork, unfortunately. I'm looking up Evan Bork, though, and uh, can't find anything. There's like, some creative director <laughs> on LinkedIn, uh, someone on Pinterest named Evan Bork, <laughs> Instagram, TikTok. Uh, the correct answer is Gabriel Bork. Okay, good to, good to know. Man's got a Q in his name. All right. All right. We'll I gave you half his name and you still couldn't get it. All right. Four for six. Stop. Let's go. I won't take Next question. Framing. All right. Yep. This this former Calder finalist was traded by New Jersey. He's now quite overpaid, which might be a controversy. <sighs> I can. <laughs> that rhyme. Um, okay. Former Calder finalist in New Jersey. He's quite overpaid now. Hmm, controversy. Uh, so don't look too hard into controversy. It just rhymes with I Jersey. I know, I know, I know. Uh, who's who's called their finalist in New Jersey? Uh, I can't imagine it's pretty recent, right? Because if he's already overpaid, uh, okay. So he's gone. He's been traded. That's nice. Um, I don't know. There are so many. 
you know? I don't know. I think I might just pass on this one. Uh, I'm trying to think. Who? Calder, eh? Yeah, I don't know. I can't think. You don't know? My mind's, my mind's drawing blanks right now. Yeah? All right. The answer is Adam Henrique, who was a finalist in 2012, oh. the year Landeskog won the Calder. Maybe I need to maybe I need to like think deeper into just like naming players with Q. You know, I only spent like five seconds of that. You know what I mean? Just like not focus on the clues, but just name a bunch of players with Q. Anyways, okay, I All got right. a new strategy heading into the next few rounds. Four okay. out of seven, right? Yeah, you're four out of seven right now. So okay. to meet the nine threshold, you've got to get five out of the next uh, seven possible points. Okay, That's tall task. To but I think you can do it. All right, uh, I think we're good. This player will definitely not make the Hall of Fame, but he's the only oh. player in the finals with a Q in his name. Ooh. Nice. Nice rhyme there. Okay, so two teams, Dallas and uh, Tampa. Okay. Um, you know. Uh, okay, so I guess I gotta go look down the depth if he's definitely not making the Hall of Fame. Um... <laughs> Imagine he does uh, after all this. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, exactly. In that, in that case, the clue's invalid. Um, as a so, builder. As a builder. Uh, okay. Uh, so I'll look through Dallas first. In my okay, so uh, just... Like, there's so many no-names on that team. That's the problem, right? You got guys like fucking Joel Hanley scoring goals, and you're like, who is this guy? Uh, a stud, so, former Hab. Yeah, I know. I, I got to shout him out. But uh, yeah, I mean, if it's... Okay, so maybe Tampa's a bit easier. Um, look at their defenseman. Zach Bogosian, Shen, and other guys. Come on. Come on. If this was a K, I mean, Dallas would have that. But unfortunately, um, not quite. Okay. All right. You know, the more I think about it, Okay, he's either he's either a guy I'm totally missing on Tampa, or he's guy he's a guy I've literally never heard of on Dallas. So I think I'm more likely to get the Tampa guy. Um, not make the Hall of Fame. Wait, is he playing? Do I get to know that? Uh, oof. Okay, Yanni Gord deserves a Q in his name. That's, that's <laughs> he, he totally does. Uh, okay, now I just gotta like think back. Oh. I think I got it. The only guy with a Q in his name, Tampa Bay Lightning, Cedric Paquette. Congratulations. You got it. All right. There we go. There we go. All right. All right. We're five for eight now. Okay. I don't think you're going to get this one, but let's go for it anyway. It's fine. This player has three NHL games under his belt. His impact on the Golden Knights has not been strongly felt. (laughs) It's a Golden Knights player too. Uh, okay, I I don't even I don't think we should waste time with this. All right, uh, the answer is Gage just... Quinney. Oh yes, noted Vegas Golden Knight Gage Quinney. Uh, I tried for so name. hard. Yeah, I yeah? tried to get the word Gage into the clue, but I just I couldn't make it work. <laughs> God damn, I I don't think that would have gotten me the answer either though. Like yeah, uh, but it would have been fun for me. It would have been hilarious. All right, yeah, you would have really dangled the carrot in front of me and watched me as I. Can't get it. Um, but alas, alas. Yeah. Maybe on the next Gage Quinny quiz. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Oh my all God. Right, so it's fi- a quiz. Oh my. Quiz has a Q. Yo, okay. All right. Q quiz doesn't okay. have a Q. All right. 
It's a Q. It's a. We'll capitalize the Q to make it more obvious that it's about the letter Q. Or you can you can put it in quotation marks. Um, yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, so you're five for five nine for now, nine. correct? Oof. Okay. Does that mean I have to go like four for five? Uh, yes, that does have to mean you have to go four for five. All right. Okay. The Pittsburgh Penguins winger scored a Stanley Cup winner, the last oh, yeah. overall pick in 2005, unlike Jeff Skinner. Nice rhyme. Uh, Patrick Hornquist. Let's go. I, Yay. I think that's wow. It. How'd yeah, you get that right good. away? You knew that right away? Yeah. Pittsburgh winger Hornquist. That was just the name went right to it. It was good. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, I guess I guess that does make sense. All right. Uh, yeah. I forgot for a second that you would have thought of him and then said, oh, there's the letter Q and then got it immediately. All right. <laughs> good job. Good job. Next up. Islanders 2016 overtime goal. To put the Panthers in a three to two series hole. Um, Islanders twenty sixteen. Uh, this is a twenty sixteen series. Oh man. Uh, I assume if you're giving me this clue that he's still on the tr- team, right? So, uh, I mean, I don't remember. That's the thing. I don't remember these kind of goals. So I don't remember who scored. So I'm just going to think, are there any cues on this team? So what? Islanders 2016 against the Panthers, he scored? Yes. Game five, overtime goal to put the Panthers in a 3-2 series hole. Oh, my God. I feel like the name is right there. Uh, It should be. It should be. I I was hoping you'd get this one. Oh, man. Oh, man. Maybe I'll write down the letters Q, U. And then it will, uh, hmm. all right. Having trouble? Oh yeah, I'm I'm having trouble. I'm having Oof. trouble. Was is he a nobody? What's the deal here? If I'm not telling you. The, oh come on, come on. Islanders, forget about it. I don't know. It's too long. Four years is too long. You give up? I'm done. All right. Uh, the answer to this question is the legend himself, Alan Quine. <laughs> Remember Alan how much Quine. I loved Alan Quine? Yeah, for like a little. He was oh like my, my favorite. Now it comes. Yeah, he was back. like my yeah, favorite for a short now. stretch. Uh-huh. Was it because he scored the goal it. for your Islanders pick? It was because he scored that big goal for my Islanders pick that I loved oh, Alan Quine and still do to this day. While he uh, journeyman's around to the. Calgary Flames, and I think is is a, a UFA this summer. So if he comes to the Habs, that'd be pretty pretty fun. But uh, you didn't get it, so maybe wow. you don't deserve to have him come grace uh, grace the Habs with his presence. So you've maybe got to not. get all the last three points now to win this quiz and meet the nine threshold. Maybe maybe nine was a good threshold. <laughs> Give it another yeah. last a little bit. Of I think gone. it was. Yeah. But you know what? I'm looking at these last these last two hints because remember the last one is a double point uh, double point question. I think you can do it. I, I have faith in you. So here we yeah, go. Are you ready? I, yeah. Going into this last round, I bought. I have one that I've been sitting on this entire time. I've just been waiting to, to hear the clue for him. So okay, I just need okay. to get two more. All right. Here we go. This devil's prospect does not have an NHL assist, but his brother Adam appeared earlier on this list. Oh, okay. Uh, his brother Adam. Bolquist, right? Uh, and I'm pretty sure man's name is uh, Jesper 
Jesper Boquist. So I'll I'll hit that as my final answer. Let's go. Jesper Boquist. Correct. Jesper Boquist. Congratulations. I was kind part of me was hoping that you'd forget what Adam appeared earlier on the list and you'd be racking your brain for that. And that would have been funny for me, but unfortunately it was not to be. Uh Jesper Boquist, that's correct. So we have one last little rhyming couplet with two oh, players as the answer. Two two players you gotta name. And you get them both and you win. Ready? Yep. Nowadays, these goalies both play like a backup, but they once went head to head for a Stanley Cup. Ooh, okay, alright. Oh, I know them both. I know them both. This is perfect. Okay. So the guy I've been sitting on all game. Uh dude's name starts with a Q. Johnny Quick. Jonathan Quick. Uh the LA Kings. So I'll just go ahead and lock that in right now. Yes, correct. Jonathan Quick, yes. Yes, of course. All right. And, yeah, I would have had a hard time thinking about who was that last one if you hadn't given me the last part of that clue when they won against each other in the Stanley Cup Final 2014. Uh, I still maintain the Habs should have made it there if Chris Kreider hadn't, you know, slid into Price's knees. But the Rangers made it, and the Rangers goalie that year was the king, Henrik... Longquist. Yay, you did it. Nine for fourteen on the on the quiz. Congratulations. Nice. Wow. Uh Kevin Clutch there near the end. Uh Alan yep. Quine. I got beef with you now. All right. No, you couldn't possibly have beef with Alan Quine. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun. I'm I'm pretty proud of putting, oh, yeah. putting those couplets together. Yep, but I think quiz. maybe uh I'm gonna require uh sorry, not require, I'm going to retire. I'm just saying a bunch of words with Q in them now. I'm going to <laughs> retire. I'm going to retire the uh, the rhyming couplet quiz form at least for now. Uh, you can carry on with that if you like, but maybe maybe I'll bring it back in in a little while when the when the time is right. But uh, for next week, it's a guess who week, and we'll be doing the Dallas Stars because we said whichever team wins the West final is the team we'll be doing. So Dallas, guess who for next week? Awesome. Okay. So, anything else you want to add before we call it a week? Nope. That is it for this episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, September 27th. Or actually, maybe uh won't be the Sunday. It'll probably be the Saturday, actually, because I'm, uh, I'm kind of busy on Sunday. But we'll work, we'll work all that out. Uh, small chance the Stanley Cup Final will be done by then. More likely, it won't be. But, uh... Within the next couple of weeks, we're probably gonna we might have some bonus content content again with the finals ending, the draft and free agency all coming up. It'll be a busy time of year, usually in June and early July, but now in uh, late September and early October. 